following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. How about that? See, he's still doing it. Humbling, humbling, humbling. It's a reminder to me to continue to pray for Joel and Michelle on vacation, that the Lord delivers them safely back home again. Um, I was reminded uh, when Will was sharing about um, September 11th, we all, uh, those of us who are, I guess, old enough um, can, I'm sure, remember where we were and what we were doing. Um, And for me, it seems like a lifetime ago uh, and just a moment ago at the same time. Um, 21 years ago, I was uh, a machinist, uh, which I still claim to be just not around other machinists, and um, (laughs) I was working for a defense contractor making anti-personnel cluster bomb warheads. Um, And if that, uh, an attack on our country doesn't bring fear to you when you're doing that sort of thing for work, I don't know what else would. Um, It was a scary time for us. Um, But uh, then I got to see the work that I was doing used on TV and it was really unsettling. Um, and I praise the Lord that uh, things changed and we were obviously protected. And um, I was freed from the burden of feeling that I was somehow contributing uh, to the difficulties our country was having. Anyway, um, we're going to turn away from that now um, to Luke chapter 5. Uh, We're going to look at verses 16 through 26, and that's on page 861 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. So let's read the word of the Lord, Luke 5, 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, And go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it for us to read. We thank you that these are your words. And so we ask that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, 
and soften our hearts to receive the message that you have prepared for us. Lord, we ask that your spirit would speak, not me. That your church might be edified and encouraged. Those that don't know you would be drawn to faith in you, and you would be glorified in our midst. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, uh, my favorite accounts. There's so much here for us to learn, and the flannel graph was so cool. Um, I I tried to include a picture, were you able to get it, uh, of the flannel graph of this event. It's so historically accurate. Uh, That's not it. That's a nice picture, but that's not the flannel graph one. I'm sorry. There should be a second one. I'll give you a minute to... We're going to talk about this for a half an hour or so, so you have some time. Um, so Jesus is teaching in a crowded house in Capernaum. Mark doesn't say where it was. I mean, Luke doesn't say where it was, but the other gospel uh, accounts do. They say he was in Capernaum. It could even be at Peter's house, which I think is funny because uh, he gets his roof torn up. Um, this, yeah, his mother-in-law, <laughs> right? probably her room. Um, yeah. So this, this event didn't happen directly after the account that we read last week of Jesus healing the man with leprosy. Uh, but Luke organized these accounts with a purpose. Um, it wasn't necessarily uh, strictly chronological, um, but his purpose was to reinforce Jesus' authority as the son of man. Uh, Jesus uh, was very popular at this time. Um, the word had reached all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. And people came from all over all the villages of Galilee and from Jerusalem to hear him teach and to see his miracles, including the Pharisees. Um, now, I don't know what kind of feelings that name, Pharisees, conjures in your spirit. Uh, depends on how much you've read the New Testament um, or who's been talking to you about it. Um, The Pharisees had a very important role in the nation of Israel at this time. Um, The Pharisees were the shepherds of the people of Israel. They were tasked with making sure that everybody was living according to the rules, their rules, um, very specific, They had rules outside of Scripture, built on top of Scripture to further protect uh, the people from making bad choices that might violate God's word. So they just kind of kept adding more and more. So because, you get it? Hey, there it is. This is my favorite flannel graph because it has action. Like they would get to lower the little guy on his mat. (laughs) We have crafts for later, (laughs) popsicle sticks for everybody. So the Pharisees uh, are, like I said, they were given the task of shepherding the people of Israel and keeping watch over their doctrine. Uh, So it's no wonder that a group of them were sent from Jerusalem to Galilee to hear this new teacher uh, and judge his message, basically. Is uh, Is this guy on track? Is he on our side? Or would we need to worry about uh, somebody... Taking, taking our influence away from us. And boy, were they in for it. Um, 
regardless of our preconceived notions of the Pharisees as the bad guys of the New Testament, um, we can still learn a great deal from them. Um, The Lord has lessons for us to learn through them. In verse 20, Jesus says, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Um, I, I'm a naturally sarcastic person, which isn't always helpful. Um, <laughs> thanks for that reinforcement. See, the sarcasm, see how it works. Um, I can't help but hear a, just, a, just a tinge of that in Jesus' question, which is easier, to, to say your sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? Um, there's an obvious answer to that. Well, really, neither is easier, but um, the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, some of the older translations call the scribes the doctors of the law. These are like, these are the lawyers. Uh, these are the ones that are well-versed in the law, and they're not necessarily uh, worried about the people so much, just that the people were following the rules. Um, and the scribes and the Pharisees put all their stock in uh, outward expressions of religion and religiousness. Um, their, their righteousness could be seen before everybody else. Their emphasis was on, quite frankly, empty outward religion. Uh, as long as they looked religious, they were content, right? They were the, the epitome of do as I say and not as I do. Um, their hypocrisy was well known, but their authority and influence made it impossible for anybody to do anything about it. Um, that is, until Jesus came around. The scribes and the Pharisees didn't question Jesus out loud. Right? This is another testament, a testimony to the power of Jesus. Um, they didn't say anything at all um, that, that, that any of the gospel writers uh, record. Um, I can't help but wonder, though, if what they were thinking wasn't written on their faces. Um, how, you know, um, but either way, Jesus knew their hearts. Um, So there's a lot we can learn about the example of the Pharisees. Um, And from this particular instance, we can learn that Jesus sees right through outward appearances, straight to the heart. And we can all nod our head in agreement with that, right? Yeah, well, do it this afternoon. How about tomorrow? Uh, Tuesday? Wednesday? Right? Yeah. Easy to nod on Sunday morning, folks. Easy to nod. Give your amen to that on Sunday. But Jesus sees through the outward appearance, straight through the heart. He sees through our attendance this morning. He sees through our record of not missing church. He sees through how loud we sing. He sees through uh, all of the things that we would try to fool everybody else with. He's not fooled by that. The Pharisees put all their effort into outward appearances while neglecting true faith. But this is the opposite of the kingdom of God, the exact opposite of the kingdom of God. For far too long, the church has given the impression 
whether on purpose or not, I, I really don't know. I can't speak for everyone, obviously. For far too long, the church has given the impression that people have to clean up their acts first before they can come to Jesus. How many people have you talked to about church that say, well, I can't come there because the place would burn down, you know, or it would be struck by lightning if I went in there? Like, you're full of baloney. That's just... The trouble is, as much as we laugh at that and think that's just silly, we know that that's not true, we still act that way. We still act as if that's true. You know, what do you say in response? Well, we can handle you. <laughs> I think the truth of the matter is we can, we can tell those friends, look, if Jesus can save me, he's going to have no problem with you. And that's the reality of it. We continue as a church, as the church, to give the impression that people have to change first in order to come to faith. And how often do we, know uh, those that know and love the Lord Jesus, let shame and regret keep us from fellowship with the Lord and with his people? I, I'm not going to go to church this week because of something I did or something I said or some way that I reacted I just don't feel like I can go to church this week. Have you ever been that? Have you ever thought that thought? No. People, I, I, I don't want to. I'm not the only one that people notice that's not here. Okay? When you, when you choose for whatever reason to not come and join with this fellowship, it's noticeable. It's not. I mean, if I don't show up, where's the guy that's supposed to talk right now? Um, I don't say this for guilt. I think guilt is a powerful motivator, but it is an incorrect way to motivate anyone. I don't say that for, for guilt's sake. I'm saying that we're a family, and when somebody doesn't show up for supper, you notice. And if you notice, friends... Who should be the one to say something? That's the pastor's job, to pay attention. So those of you who know me at all know that I am numb as a post. So it's probably getting past me, but it's not getting past you. So be the one. Reach out. Make the call. Whatever. Send a text. Smoke signals. Throw a brick with a note tied to it through their window. Whatever it takes. We love you. We miss you. That's not in the notes especially the rock through the window. So how, how often, how much effort do we expend showing people that Jesus loves them regardless of their outward appearance or the outward appearance of their lives or the outward appearance of our own life? How much effort do we put in making sure the outward appearance of our own lives is at an acceptable standard all the while neglecting our own hearts and relationship with Jesus and relationship with his church, quite frankly. We could talk about this all day. We could spend the rest of our lives working on this, and I pray that we do. Um, but we are going to move on from, from now. We've a lot to learn from the Pharisees, a lot of what not to do, uh, but there's more to learn here. There's, more, there's, there's things to learn from Jesus. 
So the scribes and the Pharisees questioned Jesus in their hearts, saying, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, uh, just for vocabulary's sake, um, to claim to be God is blasphemy. Okay, if you're ever wondering. Um, that is, unless you are actually God, then it isn't. Uh, funny how that works, right? Um, the Pharisees were right in what they were thinking. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Nobody. They were right. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. And here's how Jesus responds. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and he picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. If anyone has ever said to you, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus claimed to be God. Or if you've ever read that anywhere or, or heard it on a, in a sermon, here is your proof that Jesus is God. Jesus did not ever deny being God. And this instance, this is the claim. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're right. Nobody. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. What is he saying? I'm not God. No. Jesus is claiming to be God right here. So that should eliminate any doubt in our mind is, okay, so there's the father and then the son and this, you know, the spirit's like third string, but Jesus is like, you know, number two man. No, they are co Equal. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God, are all equal. They are triune. They are one. Jesus is God. The Pharisees were right. No one can forgive sins but God alone. And by forgiving this man's sin, Jesus shows that he is, in fact, God, and he has the power and the authority to forgive sins. The other thing that we can learn from Jesus here is that he always works miracles with a purpose. I've said it before about the eight miraculous signs in the Gospel of John. Uh, the, the whole Gospel is framed around those eight miraculous signs. And Jesus performs those signs, and John records them, those miracles, to demonstrate that he is the Son of God, that he has the power to cancel sin. That's why he healed this man. When we think about Jesus doing miracles, we often um, wrap our, can, can kind of wrap our minds around his humanity. Like Jesus healed this man because he felt compassion for him. You know, his friends had to carry him around town. He felt bad, and so he healed him. Well, partly, I'm sure, Jesus had compassion on this man because he did heal him. Is that his main goal and purpose in healing this man? No. He healed this man so that they would know that he has the power to cancel sin, to forgive sin. That's why he healed this man. That's what he says. He healed this man not just to make a cool flannel graph either, but he did. But he did this to prove his authority as the son of man. 
Jesus said that it's easier to say to the man that his sins were forgiven than to say to him, rise up and walk. And we laugh about that because neither statement is easier or harder to make. However, the two things that he says are one is harder and one is easier to do. Um, Well, maybe that's not even right. It's certainly harder for us to see one versus the other. No one could see the inward healing of this man's soul. But they could certainly see the outward sign that he got up, picked up his bed, and went home glorifying God. They could see whether or not the man actually got up out of bed. The truth of the matter is the unseen miracle is still by far the greater. They could not see the healing of this man's soul. But that does not make the miracle less. It makes it greater. Being paralyzed was certainly an issue for this man, um, obviously. But his sin was a greater issue. How often do we fall into that trap, that our outward problems are our biggest problem? And our inward stuff is just, you know, we'll take care of that. No. Our outward stuff is just to point to the inward stuff. Always, 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 always. Yet we continue to pray for God to fix the outward stuff. Let's continue to pray for God to fix the inward stuff. And the outward stuff will take care of itself. Not just ourselves, but our friends and our family and our neighbors. The people who just cut us off in traffic. That jerk at work that will just not do anything to make us happy or will, you know, whatever. Those people those people right let's pray let's pray for them let's pray for our hearts because when our hearts are in a good place when we're when we're when we're like on seemingly good terms with jesus things happen according to his design and his plan when we are living according to his design and his plan right when we're living his way Things go his way because we're in submission to him. When we're not in submission to him, we fuss and moan and complain. Oh, why is this happening to me again? Jesus, do you hate me or what? Bunch of crybabies. We need to change our mindsets to reflect the truth of which is the greater miracle. The fixing of the outward problem or the forgiveness of sin. Have you ever thanked God for the blessing of sickness? Yeah? Okay. Well, you get the gold star. I can say uh, personally, having dealt with life-altering sickness for years, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Daily waking up and saying, God, thanks that I can't talk straight. Love that. Thanks that I can't remember where I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to be doing. Thanks, Lord, that I don't have the energy to get up and get breakfast. I'm just going to lay here for a while praising your name. Do our prayers often sound like, Lord, just will you please just fix this so I don't have to deal with it anymore? 
And then he does, and then what do you do? Complain more. I, I know that this is just me. I'm only talking about me. Whatever is going on with you is your problem. <laughs> Jesus solved my problems. Jesus is most glorified when his people are most dependent on him. And that's, that's not a matter of reality. It's a matter of perspective. We are 100% dependent on Jesus all the time, all the time, not just for the little things, for the big things, your heartbeat, right? Blood coursing through your veins, your, your brain stem, whatever that's doing right now. You have no control over that. Do you know who does? Jesus. He's keeping your atoms together, keeping your cell walls perfusing oxygen. We are 100% dependent on him. If only our perspective would match the reality that we are 100% dependent on Jesus for everything. And we can talk about that all day. But we're going to move on because there's more to learn from the paralytic and his four friends. Let's go back to verse 17. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, often when I read this story, I think who's the or when I read any account in Scripture, I think about who's the hero, who's the hero of the story. Right. We think of Jonah and the great fish. Who's the hero of the story of Jonah and the great fish? The, fi- the fish. That's a new one. Well, it isn't. You're wrong. So you're welcome. It isn't Jonah either. Okay? We think of Jonah as the hero. Nope. God's the hero. Right? Is the paralytic laying on the mat the hero of the story? No. Is Jesus, uh, four, the four friends, is, are they the hero of the story? No. It's cool. But no. Jesus is the hero of the story. Always, always, always. But... Though Jesus is the hero, we can still learn from the example of these five men. I said a couple of weeks ago how much I value cleverness, and I think that's really why this I like this story. Like they got to a problem, and they left, they, they, they left the box behind, right? They're totally out of the box thinking we're not going to wait in line and take a number like we're at the deli to get in to see Jesus. Let's go bust a hole in the roof, and we're going to dump our guy down in there right? To get to Jesus. These guys were undeterred by the obstacles that came between them and Jesus. And they're clever enough to find a way around. I love that. No crowd was going to stop them. No roof was going to stop them uh, from laying their friend before the Lord. What great faith they had, right? That's no joke. What a great love they had for their friend. These men literally bore his burdens, we send out our prayer list every Tuesday on email so that we can bear one another's burdens. 
We collect the prayers here on Sunday morning and write them down so that we can bear one another's burdens. They carried him on his bed. They stopped at nothing to bring him to Jesus. Are we willing to exercise the same faith? Are we willing to bear one another's burdens in this way? What does that really look like in real life? I'll close with a story by William White, adapted from his book, Stories for the Journey. If you're looking for something fun to read, write that down. Stories for the Journey. What's your favorite Bible story, Papa? A little girl asked her father as he tucked her under the sheets. Let me, let me see, he said as he sat on the edge of the bed. There are so many that I love. The story we read tonight at supper of the four men who carried their paralyzed friend to Jesus, lowering him through the roof is one of my favorites because it reminds me so much of how your Uncle Hans was healed. I don't know that story, the little girl said hopefully. Please tell it to me, Papa. Many years ago, the father began, Hans and his wife Enid escaped the war in Europe so that he could continue his life of teaching in the seminary. At first, things were difficult because his English was not good, but soon he became one of our seminary's most beloved teachers. The students loved him because he was warm and gentle, and when he spoke, the scriptures came alive. Hans and Enid were very much in love Nearly every day, they took long walks together, holding hands. It warmed the hearts of students and faculty alike to see them sitting close to each other in church. Then one day, Enid died. Hans was struck with sorrow. For weeks, he would not eat or take walks. The seminary president, along with three other friends, visited him regularly, but he felt lonely and depressed. He was experiencing the dark night of the soul. On one of their visits, Hans said to his friends, I am no longer able to pray to God. In fact, I am not certain I believe in God. After a moment of silence, the seminary president said, then we will believe for you. We will make your confession for you. We will pray for you. The other friends looked bewildered by their president's word, but not knowing what else to say, they agreed. In the days ahead, the four men met daily for prayer. They made confession on behalf of Uncle Hans. They asked God to restore the gift of faith to their dear friend, and they continued to visit him in his home. Then, after many months, the four men all gathered in Hans' living room. He smiled before he spoke. It is no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Today, I would like you to pray with me. The dark night of the soul had passed. There was a long silence before the little girl spoke. Uncle Hans was just like the sick man in the story, wasn't he, Papa? Only instead of a mat to carry him to Jesus, his friends used prayer. And the father nodded and kissed his daughter goodnight. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a great gift you have given to us.
of this reminder of your power to forgive sin. The reminder to not let our religion be merely external. And the reminder to bear our loved ones to Jesus. Father, align our hearts with yours. Align our wills with yours. That we might know you and the power of your life and death and resurrection. And share that wonderful truth and blessing with our friends and family and neighbors. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.